Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, I got to measure the rewatchability of one of the craziest action films, not just of this year, but of all time. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I saw a couple of new movies in theater this week, including the big winner from the Cannes Film Festival. Plus, we can wrap up our Halloween stuff with a movie I have not watched in decades, and I completed the 35-part binge. But before we do anything else, we've got to open the show. Every week, the TV guide comes to Chandler and Joey's apartment. What name appears on the address label? Chandler, it's, it's Chandler Bing! No! I'm afraid the TV guide comes to Chenandler Bong. Actually, it's Miss Chenandler Bong. <laughs> Sad news with the loss of a great television friend. Yeah, uh, Matthew Perry passed away this past week at age 54. Uh, I guess he was found at his home in his hot tub. They still have not released an official cause of death as of us recording this program Thursday afternoon. So uh, definitely one of the sadder uh, celebrity deaths of recent times because he was so young. And of course, he was so beloved because uh, for a whole generation or two of people, uh, he was one of their best friends as far as TV goes. I, I was a little worried a couple of weeks ago when Suzanne Summers died because these things come in threes and sure enough Suzanne Summers died from Three's Company and a week later Richard Mall the guy who played Bull on uh, Night Court passed away he was 80 and then of course you know uh, Matthew Perry only 54 which uh, kind of makes it all the more sad because he was so young and uh, we knew that he had a lot of struggles throughout his life. He had such a hard time with his uh, various addictions, that sort of thing. But uh, by all accounts, I heard an interview with Marta Kaufman, one of the co-creators of Friends, who said she had seen him just a couple of weeks before that, and he was in uh, good health and good spirits, and he had just recently quit smoking, another uh, habit he had kicked, and uh, things were looking pretty good for Matthew Perry. So it just, uh, you know, kind of adds to the tragedy. I'm honestly still in uh, just in uh, shock and awe mode. It blows my mind that this happened. Uh, I guess it shouldn't, but it did. So I'm still kind of sorting through what I even think about it. And you just recently rewatched like the whole series, the didn't whole you? schmear. I watched all ten seasons in. I'm a little embarrassed to say, I think seven weeks, <laughs> something like Nothing that. Nothing embarrassing about that. That's, that's a, a lot of, that's a lot of friends. That's a huge binge. Uh, and it was great. And it was, it's such a comfort show for me. It's probably the number one comfort show for me because I was, uh, it started this show began three weeks after I moved away from home for the first time. And, you know, you know, my life in college wasn't exactly like the friends in New York, but it was kind of similar. It was the time of your life where your friends are your family, right? So um, that show actually meant quite a bit to me. So, yeah, it's uh, adding just to the shock of it all. I did notice this time throughout... Um, they're all good on it, but what Matthew Perry was doing was pretty special because he got some very average or even lines that weren't even funny, but he had a way of making them funny, and that was a heck of a talent that he sustained over 10 seasons, which was amazing. They did a lot of story points in the last couple of years that kind of sucked, but the, the quality of the acting, of course, never went down, so there you go. Yeah, he really was. I mean, they're, they were all, they're all special performers, I think, but he was always my favorite i think everybody probably everybody who watched friends and liked friends at least i mean hey not everybody enjoys friends although i don't know what kind of a soulless heartless <laughs> monster you'd have to be to not enjoy friends the television show but i really enjoyed him and i think you're right his character was kind of this and maybe it's because i related to him not because like i don't have his sarcastic wit or anything but he was 
the 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 kind of dorky friend, the one who was awful with trying to hit on women, so to speak, and to 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 meet girls. He was always struggling, and uh, to know that he like to hear. I just learned this week that he had once said that there are three seasons of the show he does not remember. Yeah, filming, and you notice that on the rewatch, especially when you're seeing it all real fast together, it's like, oh wow, look at how skinny he is in season three. I think that was the big one where he was at his worst, yeah. and well, obviously not eating a thing, kind of because he was lost so much weight. And he, yeah, he said, if you see me kind of big and puffy, that's when I'm in my best health. <laughs> and he's like, the skinnier I am, the worse off things were going behind the scenes. So okay, but uh, yeah, he was. Uh, the, that show was a gift. And he was a gift, and on one hand, he kind of makes me sad that he never really got that second, that, that uh, well, it was his co-star in The Odd Couple who said he was just looking for, like, what many of, many performers are looking for is a second act. Yeah, and he had a lot of failed shows. He had that Odd Couple reboot, which... You know, it wasn't good. It, was, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his co-star's fault. And, um, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. That yeah. was supposed to be a big thing from Aaron Sorkin uh, after the West Wing. And it had a great pilot episode. And yeah. I've never, I still to this day have never seen a show start off at the height that that pilot was, which was very, very good. And by the end of the first and only season, that show was almost unwatchable. It was just Aaron Sorkin uh, using these characters, and he was just like uh, ranting about the Iraq War, which I mean, people had strong feelings about the Iraq War. The Iraq War is not why anyone tuned into Studio 60 <laughs> on the Sunset Strip, but I don't. It was just bizarre. So you and every he had a couple of other uh, failed sitcoms as well, and it always go in thinking, oh, I hope this works out. And then, it, yeah, it just wouldn't. I mean, um, the guy, uh, Jason Alexander on Seinfeld had a bunch of those, too. Many sitcom stars who are very successful in one thing, well, like you said, just can't catch that second break. Yeah, but by all accounts, he has helped a lot of people over the years yeah. deal with addictions. He's been very open and honest and public about speaking about his addiction. So uh, that is, I think, just as important a legacy as is his artistic legacy, his, his career as an actor, particularly as Chandler Bing, or if you prefer, Miss Chandler Bong. So rest in peace, Matthew Perry. That was a tough one this week. I want to switch gears here and just quickly tell you in terms of what is new this weekend at the movies and at home, because there are a couple of notable things at home. So first, new in theaters this week, we've got Priscilla. Hi. What's your name? Priscilla Boyer. You like Elvis Presley? Of course. Who doesn't? Sofia Coppola directs this film based on the 1985 book Elvis and Me by Priscilla Presley, which shows us a side we might not know of their famed relationship, and it takes us through the ups and downs of their courtship and turbulent marriage, and it's getting great reviews. You know, there's a lot of rumors about you. Was there something you're hiding? I don't have a thing to hide. Oh, I need a woman who understands that things like this might happen. Are you going to be here or not? So new on Netflix this week, we've got a documentary about one of the biggest names in movie history, Sly. You ever have a train? Wham, wham. And that's what your life is. Whipping by, it's gone. Filmmaking, it comes at a great price. There's no time for anything else. 
Sly tells the story of Sylvester Stallone as he opens up and offers candid thoughts on his success and his regrets. You put things before your family and the repercussions are quite devastating. Now I realize that's all that matters. That one's getting pretty good reviews, too. I've heard that it's kind of self-indulgent, but he's very open and honest on that one. And then new on Prime Video this week, season two of Invincible. When I was a kid, I always wanted to be my dad. What if that happens? What if I become him and I don't even know it? The first season came out in 2021. It is a superhero cartoon, a super violent superhero cartoon. Definitely not for kids. Season one was cool, and I'm excited for season two. People of Earth, the more you resist, the worse this gets. Up next on the Couch Potatoes, two hours and 49 minutes. Is it something that is easily rewatchable? And I watched a movie I haven't watched in, I bet you, 30 years. Was it worth the wait? You are listening to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. This past weekend, I was looking for a spooky movie to watch because Halloween season. And I was just going through the various streamers and I popped up on Crave and I saw this was available. Turns out, looks like it came out at the end of September, but I was, I missed that. So <laughs> there went my Saturday night for this. John Wick Chapter 4. I saw it once in the theater. I had hoped to maybe go back and see it again, but I never got around to it. Jeff, how many times have you seen it? I saw it twice. I saw it opening weekend for our purposes, and then a couple weeks later, one of my buddies was like, you want to go see it again? I was like, yep, let's go. <laughs> we went again. Okay, but you haven't seen it at home yet? I have not watched it at home yet. All right, so one of the main things I was curious about is what is the rewatchability factor for this movie given its length at 2 hours 49 minutes? Because that first movie it's the shortest and simplest of them yeah and it's still my favorite of them all not to suggest the others are of lesser quality i just love that first movie so much but that i can pop that on anytime anytime and be happy but with this one i actually fell asleep two hours into it (laughs) i didn't i didn't make it to the end of the line i fell asleep and uh, i woke up and like it had played through the credits had rolled and it was just on that still screen on crave saying john wick chapter four so i had to go back and figure out where i bang 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 doesn't jolt you back awake like every time i try and take a nap if there's anything slightly louder than a whisper like a bird chirping outside i wake up yeah, I fell asleep in Mission Impossible. Um, what's the one with Henry Cavill? Uh, six, Fallout. Fallout, thank you. Yeah, I fell asleep when Tom Cruise was running across the rooftops. Oh, my God. So, But I did. I remember <laughs> going to see the, the sequel for The Strangers, and there was a scene where uh, like a truck <laughs> drives through a wall uh, like, where the people were hiding, and... That woke me up with a start. I almost had a heart attack because I was just nodding off and then bam. But yeah, I just was sleepy. But yeah, so I would suggest that I, A, I still loved it. It's a, such a beautiful movie. Like this, this, these movies are not just action movies. These are, this is action art. And this movie is so 
creative. Every scene, they seem to be trying something new, and it's a beautiful cinematography, and the colors are wild. Like it just looks gorgeous, and it's super fun, and the action is crazy, and I love it. But it is a bit long, and I kind of wonder. The next time I go to watch it, will I like break it up yeah. into two parts? I usually do that. I usually do that even with shorter movies now. I'll, it's like 8 o'clock on a Saturday, and I'll start a movie, and then at 10.30, I'm an hour through the movie because I keep hitting pause to look at my phone or whatever. And it's like, oh, I guess I'll watch the rest with my Sunday morning coffee. Nice. So that was that's available on Crave. So if you haven't seen it, watch it. I love it. I just don't know that. Of the four, I think this is probably the least rewatchable. It'll be the one that I uh, don't go back to visit quite as often. Although, once you start, once you watch one, you kind of have to watch them all. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of watching them all, I did it. I started last week. I wasn't sure if I'd get through them all, but I made it through 35 Halloween ish episodes <laughs> oh of. The Simpsons! It's worth noting there are 33 Treehouse of Horror specials, starting with the first one in Season 2. But in Season 27, there is also an episode called Halloween of Horror, which is the first full Halloween episode they did that is not part of the Treehouse of Horror theme. Then in 30, Season 31, on top of the Treehouse of Horror episode, there's also a Thanksgiving of Horror same format, three stories, still violent and kind of Halloweenish, but centered around Thanksgiving. By the way, there is a Thanksgiving slasher movie coming out later this month, uh, directed by Eli Roth, kind of an expansion of the little trailer he did for Grindhouse yeah. all those years ago. I saw that. I will not be watching that. <laughs> yeah. What, what did he say in the Grindhouse? White meat, dark meat. All will be carved. Thanksgiving. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we're in season 35 currently, which means the 34th Treehouse of Horror is this year. It is set to air on Sunday. Couldn't do it before Halloween because World Series, but you know what? It was just, it was comforting going back through these. The Simpsons have has been around since I was a kid. Like, I'm 46 now, but watching those first seven or eight Halloween episodes really brought me back to some happy memories. Plus, I haven't seen, I bet you, at least 15 of these, so it was fun to get to watch them all for the first time. And the satire in The Simpsons is just consistently brilliant. And watching all these episodes was a good reminder that before South Park was doing it. And by the way, South Park, apparently their new special on Paramount Plus, Beyond the Panderverse, they just skewer... All things multiverse. They skewer Disney. They skewer Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm. Uh, they they skewer sort of diverse casting and how uh, they're, they're gender swapping and race swapping everything just to tick boxes. But they also show the other side and make Kathleen Kennedy kind of sympathetic. So South Park is really good at doing both sides. But anyway, Simpsons was there first on this front with the cartoons before South Park, before Family Guy. And no one is safe from The Simpsons. And it was kind of fun to watch what was almost a review of the last 33 years and to see the people and concepts they were poking fun at starting back in 1990. So they're all on Disney+. Plus. If you want to watch them, I had a fun week. And I'll just quickly mention this. I did end up eventually watching a scary movie. It's a movie I probably haven't seen in 30 years. came out August 17th, 1990. The Exorcist 3. This time you're going to lose. The real terror is back. George C. Scott in William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist 3. Nice little shot there. 
At The Exorcist 2, The Heretic, they just ignore that that movie ever happened. So George C. Scott plays the cop who investigated the original situation in the first Exorcist, which came out in 1973. And in this one, there are some demonic deaths resembling the work of the Gemini Killer, who is a deceased serial killer. And as George C. Scott is looking into this, he realizes, and spoiler alert, uh, but he realizes that Father Damien Karras, who was thought dead at the end of the first movie, is still alive. He's in a he's in an institution. And this Gemini killer, who's working with the master, the demon from the first movie, is possessing Father Karras and possessing other people to complete these killings. And um, it's a good little movie. Like it's I think it was like not even an hour forty five, so it's short. It's not super scary, although it does have a Hall of Fame jump scare in a hallway involving some garden shears. I'll just leave it at that. And uh, George C. Scott was terrific. Yeah, it was just a simple movie that revisits the the, the, the st- concept from the original, and I thought it was really good. And I watched that on Tubi. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And just to put the final nail in the Halloween coffin, this is what I watched on Halloween weekend, Brett. I watched uh, Adam Sandler's Hubie Halloween for, I think, the fourth time, because I think it came out three years ago. Oh, wow. It's a really good... Uh, I don't know that guy is he's back that's what i'll say we said very bad things about adam sandler movies for like 15 years but now he's putting out some good stuff lately and i think hubie halloween is uh, one of his best ever anyways and then uh, the kids want to watch a ghostbusters movie and because of what was available on our streamers we watched the 2016 uh, melissa mccarthy chris and wig ghostbusters which i like i think that one's underrated i know people like oh, yeah? to uh, snark on that one but I, I thought it was fun i think it's fun it's okay yeah i didn't hate it no i just it, I, I think, thought it was pointless. Yeah, but I mean, I think people are just sometimes too precious about Ghostbusters. Like, just listen to the name of it, people. This is not high art here. It's okay to just make a silly Ghostbusters movie. Anyways, but I also went to the theater a couple times this week. I saw David Fincher's latest, The Killer, starring Michael Fassbender. Stick to the plan. Anticipate. Don't improvise. Never yield an advantage. Stick to the plan. Fight only the battle you're paid to fight. Ask yourself, what's in it for me? Stick to the plan. Empathy, weakness, vulnerability. This is what it takes if you want to succeed. Simple. The Killer is in theaters now, but it will be on Netflix next week on the 10th. And while all movies are better on the big screen, I would say you could wait to see this one on Netflix. Not that it isn't good, it is, but it's not some big spectacle like Top Gun Maverick or something like that. Uh, Aside from Michael Fassbender, Tilda Swinton is also in it, as are a couple of recognizable faces like Charles Parnell, who was in Top Gun Maverick, speaking of that, and Arliss Howard, who was in uh, The Lost World Dress. Park. I don't know why I know him from that, but I do. Uh, not a huge A-list cast, but for me, it's the name Fincher that is worth getting excited about. The killer was described on IMDb as an assassin begins to psychologically crack as he develops a conscience, even as his clients continue to demand his skills. And that's kind of wrong uh, in every way. I don't know who writes those things, but that's just not true. The killer is about an assassin who botches a job and spends the rest of the movie dealing with the fallout. Maybe he cracks a little psychologically because it is the first job he 
botches. He says in the opening minutes that he's batting a thousand for his career, and right after that he screws up. The movie opens with this botch job, which entails a lot of fastbender waiting in a building across the street from the guy he's supposed to kill, waiting for the target to show up. He talks in voiceover to us, I guess, and explains the life of an assassin. There's a lot of very meticulous detail that goes into these jobs specifically, and as we see throughout the movie, everything that he does in his life, and that's where the movie really shines because it's kind of a perfect match of subject matter and artist because David Fincher is, if nothing else, very detail-oriented, almost to uh, Stanley Kubrick Kubrickian degree. You hear horror stories from actors in his movies about dozens of takes to just walk through a door, things like that. And the movies are always so neat and tidy in the way the shots are framed and executed, that sort of thing. I really like that about him, and he doesn't disappoint in this movie. All the technical aspects of the filmmaking are among the very best there is. Uh, He's underrated in the sound department. The sound plays a a big role in this movie. It's really, really well done. So, you know, it kind of makes sense for him to want to make a movie about a guy who lives his life like that, and and boy, does Fassbender live like that. It's a kind of OCD by necessity. He would never be caught by the police because he erases every trace of himself wherever he goes at all times. Even if he's not committing a crime, he sprays down a, a gas station bathroom sink after he washes his hands, for example, so as not to leave any fingerprint or DNA or whatever else anybody might leave behind that could conceivably be traced back to them. And he's been doing it for a while. Uh, He must charge a lot because he's a millionaire, which is good because he throws away almost everything after one use. Again, just the covering of his tracks. Um, The killer, we never learn his real name, at least as far as we know, has safe houses and storage units all over the place. He's put in a lot of time, effort, and money to kind of... To, to make this work for him. And now it's paying off because his uh, journey to take care of the blowback here takes him from Paris to the Dominican Republic to a bunch of different places in the U.S. He has a bevy of fake identities. All the aliases he uses are old sitcom character names, which... Honestly, while entertaining, does kind of feel a little sloppy on his part because you might remember a guy whose name was Sam Malone if you came across him, wouldn't you? Um, I guess luckily for him, most of the people he runs into at airports and uh, border crossings or whatever don't seem to be sitcom fans because nobody's raising an eyebrow at things like that. And to be fair, he does tell us right up front that while he is meticulous, he is not special. He is just a guy who does this for a living. Uh, The movie's divided into chapters. Each chapter is a different location where he has to deal with someone, either a friend or a foe or an unknown. And the story is kind of unremarkable. It is fine. It is not mind-blowing. There's nothing bonkers in it like we saw in movies that Fincher has done before, like Seven or Fight Club. If that's what you're kind of expecting, you might be disappointed. I could also see some people finding it a little slow in spots, although I will say I was engaged throughout. And it's only two hours long, which seems to be a bit of a miracle in this day and age. Um, Fassbender's performance is great. And as mentioned last week, great to see him in something good again. And it's boon times for him. He's in a sports comedy from Titan. Watiti later this month called Next Goal Wins. That actually looks pretty funny. As for the killer, it is not top tier David Fincher, but it is definitely worth checking out when it comes to Netflix. Again, that's on November 10th, and I'll give three and a half couch cushions out of five for the killer. Um, I went to another movie this week, a French courtroom drama called Anatomy of a Fall. I need you to be precise. Tell me everything. Yes. <clears throat> I don't know what happened. I think it fell off that third floor. The windows open. 
the autopsy report is inconclusive. An accidental fall is going to be hard for us to defend. That's why there's an investigation for a more suspicious death, because you were the only person there. And of course, you're his wife. Stop. I did not kill him. Anatomy of a Fall won the Palm d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival in May, which is the most prestigious award a movie can win after an Oscar. And being from France, I would say it makes it the frontrunner for the International Feature Oscar, a.k.a. Best Foreign Film this year. But despite being from France, the movie is probably more half, more than half in English, and then the rest is in French. The, the trailer, of course, is 100% in English, because the last thing they want you to do is know that there's subtitles involved. Uh, the main character is also German. Her name is Sandra Voiter. She's played by Sandra Huller, and she's had a 25-year career in European movies. Um, the whole movie is populated by people in front of and behind the camera who have been working in movies for years, mostly unrecognizable uh, to us in North America, unless we've been watching a lot of foreign films. Sandra and her husband and 11-year-old son and their dog live in the, the chalet in the Alps, a chalet that's being renovated at the moment by the husband, who is from France, which is why they live there. It's his hometown. And one day while Sandra is napping, according to her, and her son is out walking the dog, which we see we're with him while this is going on, the dad falls out of a window and dies. There's this investigation, and before too long, Sandra is charged with homicide. Both sides present compelling arguments as to whether uh, the husband jumped on purpose, fell by accident, or was pushed. So there's a lot of court, there's a lot of flashbacks, there's some visualized theories of what may have happened. And as the movie goes along, we learn more and more about their home life through the flashbacks and through evidence presented in court. And of course, at the end, there's a verdict. Uh, it's very compelling. There's a genuine mystery, and a lot of it is geared to make you think it could go either way. It's a sort of court case where you'd in real life, probably hate to be on the jury because it's not very cut and dry and you're going to have to make a decision at some point. Um, one of the most interesting things about the movie I found was that probably wasn't part of the plan by the filmmakers. It's just how different court in France is compared to what we're seeing as Forrest Kirk goes in movies and TV. Sandra, the defendant in a murder trial, sitting in the prisoner's box, just pipes up all the time to butt into other people's conversation and testimony and say, uh, no, that's actually not correct, which, you know, is unheard of. A lot of people pipe up when you wouldn't expect it in this movie as well. In a Hollywood movie, of course, the judge would be exhausted from uh, banging the gavel and having to tell people to shut up. It's not their turn to talk. But here, a lot of it just kind of comes across as a, a conversation between all sides as kind of really fascinating to watch uh, from our perspective in North America. The kid plays a big part, too. He has a severe visual impairment and and he's the closest thing they have to a witness, but he's also a kid at his mom's trial concerning his dad's death. So very tough stuff to navigate for the kid. And the kid actor is just, he's amazing. It's among the best kid performances you'll ever see. He sounds real and natural, which is very hard to get out of a kid actor from the movies we've seen. All the performances are great. I would think uh, Sandra Huller will get some awards attention. I think the movie will as well. Great stuff. Again, half English, half in French. If you're, if you're not sure about subtitles, it actually might be a a good movie to try it out to see if you can handle it because you get a lot of breaks from it here and there. Um, it's good stuff. It's in theaters now. Four couch cushions out of five for Anatomy of a Fall. 96% on Rotten Tomatoes for that yeah. one. I, I had, hadn't even heard of this. So Me neither. I'm glad you saw it because now I really want to see it. Yeah. My girlfriend was just like, we should go see this. And I was like, okay, well, let's go do it. <laughs> and she hates subtitles because uh, well, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. She needs glasses, refuses to get glasses. So... <laughs> 
When we went to see Parasite, for example, she walked out of there with a splitting headache. Oh, no. <laughs> but this wasn't too bad because you kept getting a break from it. So. All right. I have a buddy, too, who re- he's been squinting for years. Yeah. Like, why don't you just get glasses? Yeah. Eh, I don't know. Like, is it safe for you to drive? <laughs> I know. Well, let's just move on to the next topic. <laughs> Up next, Jeff, as we uh, head towards Remembrance Day, Jeff revisited what I think might be his favorite series of all time in any format, but he can tell me if that is correct or not. Next, you're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And yes, Brett, you were right. I did rewatch my very favorite series of all time this past week, HBO's 2001 miniseries, Band of Brothers. At 0600 hours, we will begin training to go to war. Each trooper will learn this operation by heart and know his mission to the detail. We're letting you up, my friend. All you have to do is remember what you were taught. I guarantee you gravity will take care of the rest. Band of Brothers is a story of a company of U.S. paratroopers in World War II. It follows them from training to D-Day to the Battle of the Bulge till the end of the war. It's massive in scope and at the time was, I believe, the most expensive thing ever produced for television. It has a lot of gritty war action scenes, Saving Private Ryan style. Great stuff. I've talked about this show many times over the years. I don't have much new to add. However, I was really struck this time around by how many recognizable actors are in it. When it first aired, and this is September of 2001, I would say there were three actors in a cast of hundreds who were recognizable to a mass audience. There was Ron Livingston, who was in the movie Swingers and Office Space before that. You might know uh, the name. You would definitely recognize the face. There was Donnie Wahlberg who was in The Sixth Sense, and of course, you know, New Kids on the Block, one of the most famous boy bands of all times to that point. And there was David Schwimmer, who was on Friends, of course, probably the most recognizable face uh, at that moment because uh, this was on while Friends was still on the air. However, now, uh, 22 years later, there are a ton of recognizable faces in the cast, including Damien Lewis, who is the lead character. This kind of launched him. He's been in shows and movies ever since. He's still on the show Billions right now. There was a guy named Scott Grimes who played the soldier Malarkey. He ended up on ER not too long afterwards and has been in a lot of stuff. Dexter Fletcher played Martin. He's a director. He made Bohemian Rhapsody, Rocketman, Eddie the Eagle, and some others. He's also acted a bunch. You might recognize his face. Michael Cudlitz played Bull. He was the lead on that cop show, Southland. Neil McDonough played Buck. He's been in a ton of stuff, often plays a bad guy. He was a great bad guy on a season of Justified. Kirk Acevedo played Joe Toy. He was on Fringe. He played a cop there. He's been on other shows as well. There was a guy by the name of Colin Hanks, Brett. You might know who that is. He's uh, Tom Hanks' son and, of course, has been in many things. Andrew Scott played Private Hall in one episode. We know him from Sherlock and Fleabag. Rick Gomez, Ross McCall, James Matteo, Frank John Hughes. Dale Dye, Richard Spike Jr., Eon Bailey. Still might not know the names. There's a pretty good chance you'd recognize a few of those faces. I've seen them all multiple times over the last two decades. 
And then some real big names with really small parts. James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Simon Pegg, Tom Hardy are all in Band of Brothers. Uh, McAvoy looks like a 12-year-old kid in this show. And then there's Jimmy Fallon, who shows up for one scene. He was already on Saturday Night Live. We all knew him as the goofy guy who always was laughing in the middle of sketches. He just shows up in the middle of World War II, sticking out like a sore thumb, delivers one scene full of exposition, and then just gets in a Jeep and literally drives out of the show. I'm probably missing a few, but uh, there you go. If you've never seen Band of Brothers, it is now officially a star-studded event, and it still uh, it holds up so well because it's you know it's set in World War II, so it's not dated like uh, if it were set in the present day 20 years ago. It's it's really good stuff. If you've never seen it. And you like uh, you can handle war movies, war action, that type of thing. Uh, put it on your list. It is on Crave right now. It's ten episodes. They're each about an hour long. Um, I will also say the the show is each episode begins with. Uh, little talking head interviews of the real life soldiers as old men in the early 2000s um, telling little stories about whatever that episode's theme is or whatever that episode's mission is. And we, it doesn't say who they are because at the end, the very end of the series, we find out who they are because some of them are, you know, major characters in the series. And it would be a spoiler to know who lives and dies ahead of time, yada, yada, yada. There's also a documentary called We Stand Alone Together. Um, and it's just 90 minutes of those old men telling their stories. And that, in many ways, is even better than the rest of the series because those guys have some, uh, they've got some stories, they've got some perspective on war and their part in it and the world at the time and the world since then and how their lives have gone. And it's, it's fascinating stuff. It's really, really well done. And sadly, most of those guys have passed on since then because, again, it's 22 years ago and then they were in their 70s at the time. So if you're looking for something uh, remember for war-ish for Remembrance Day, uh, always, always recommend Band of Brothers. And like I said, for my money, the best thing that's ever been on TV. And just a heads up, that master of the Air, a long gestating companion series yes. to Band of Brothers and The Pacific, which came out in 2010, is set to debut on Apple TV Plus on January 26th, 2024. And I should point out, you mentioned Billions, just wrapped up as a series. It says seven seasons. The series finale just happened a few days ago. And my buddy Mike, who's been watching it since the start, <laughs> says it's really good. Right on. I'm Brett, he's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.